This is Meg Tilton at The 8 Cow Life, episode number 32, God's Guiding Hand, my interview with Natalie Samus. This is The 8 Cow Life, a place where LDS women, and really any woman, can come to learn how every aspect of their life is beautiful and has purpose. A place to help you realize how important you are and that this place we call Earth just wouldn't be the same without you. So sit back and take a breather in that unfolded laundry and let's chat for a moment about your amazing life. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody, on this beautiful Monday morning. I'm so glad you each are here. I hope I sound a lot better than I did last week. I feel much better. I ended up in bed the day after I recorded last week's podcast and just was so sick. So I'm kind of glad to be coming out of it on the other side and hopefully we're crossing our fingers. That's it for the sickness in our family. We kind of all have colds now. My poor husband got it this last weekend and we're just going to move on. It is time to get well in the Tilton household. All right, so today I am sharing with you an interview I did with my friend Natalie Samus. Natalie is such a great person. She is so energetic. She's so upbeat and so happy. She's just such a great example to me of um, service and faith and really is somebody who has a heart of gold. Anybody who knows her just loves her. She has four beautiful children who are just the cutest little things ever. And we were so sad when they moved um, away from St. Louis. They now live um, in South Carolina. And she, in this podcast, shares her experience with her oldest daughter, Elise, being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. And I knew a lot of the story before I interviewed her, but I think she added so much and so many great insights that I'm excited for all of you to listen to this because this rounds out the whole month that we did on grief, that I did on grief in this podcast. And I'm just excited to be able to share this interview with you because it does have such a great example of that grief is not always confined to losing someone and having someone pass away. And that we have so many instances in our lives that can cause us grief. You know, grief really comes because we have something that we wanted to have happen, not happen, and or things go differently and our life plan gets changed. And I think that this is a good example of that. She was very open and very real on this interview, and I really appreciate that. And she shares some things that kind of surprised her about having her daughter diagnosed with this um, disease and just what that's like to live with that on a daily basis. I have another really good friend who has two children with type 1 diabetes, and I know that it is not an easy thing to be able to undertake. And so I really... um, tip my hat to these moms that deal with this, um, as well as moms that deal with anything that's chronic in a child's life. It is not an easy task to be given, and mothering is already hard enough, and to have this on top of it just kind of ups it a little bit. 
So I really appreciate Natalie and all of her willingness. She, of course, was at the park when I interviewed this. And if you know Natalie, that's totally her, which I love because I think that people should really show up as they really are. And so she had taken her youngest to the park and she was on the phone. So there is a little bit maybe where it might be a little bit hard to understand, but I tried to edit um, as much as I could so that it is the best quality that it could be. So please enjoy this interview and thank you, Natalie. I love you and I'm so grateful for you in sharing your story with each of us. So let's get to the interview. Welcome to the podcast today, Natalie. I'm so glad you're here. Can you briefly give us a little introduction on yourself for all of my listeners? Sure. I am a stay-at-home mom who also bakes out of her house. Um, About a year ago, I started a bakery Um, and I love to stay home with the kids and bake around their schedule. And then we all kind of eat dessert every night at the end of the day. And that's kind of my life. Okay. (laughs) Yep. Your (laughs) life is baked goods. I love that. That's your life. And you're like super skinny, of course, because, um, you're like a maniac of a runner. So I do enjoy running. Yes. Yeah. So what is, uh, what was your workout like this morning? Well, to be honest, um, I have injured my IT band for the, so for the past week I have not run. So I did a lot of sets of pull-ups and bizarre kettlebell swings and anything I can do to get my energy out. So that was my workout. Yeah. See, most of us would just sit on the couch and eat our brownies that we make and watch TV. <laughs> but not you, Natalie. I wait for the Olympics to come on and then I watch it and I do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay, great. Yeah. So Natalie is an avid runner. I do know this. She will push like two or three kids in a stroller running faster than I could even run without a stroller. And I know you trained yourself so hard one time that you had a stress factor in your femur, right? Yes, I did. I did. <laughs> I did do that. And I swore that I would never injure myself again after a marathon. And here I am post-marathon with IT band injury again. But I did qualify for Boston. Nice. And I'm pretty proud of that. My dad and I ran. He actually beat me at the last minute. At the last second, he zoomed past me, which is how we like it. You do your best no matter what. <laughs> so <laughs> once I'm healed, I'll, I'll get back and beat my dad again, which is kind of a sad goal. But He's, a, he's crazier than I am, so it's actually really hard to beat him. Yeah, how old is your dad? He has turned 60 this year. Yeah, that's impressive. So, yeah. You're going to be that so, lady that yeah. I see on the news, like 85-year-old woman just broke the record <laughs> for the marathon for women in her age group. I'll probably be dead, actually, because you're younger than I am. I think I, I, I'm a little worried about running when the kids are all actually out of the stroller. I'm only down to Paxton now, and... There's this, these old ladies on my run who walk, and they always say, when he gets out, get, leave me a spot. So I'll probably still push a stroller. I feel very connected <laughs> with my <laughs> pushing. <laughs> That's so funny. Okay, well, we could talk about your athleticism and all that stuff um, all day. But we're here today, actually, to talk about your um, recent finding out about a year ago that your oldest daughter, Elise, was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So could you give us a little bit of of a background story on how you discovered that Elise had diabetes and what that was like for you and her during that initial first few weeks of her diagnosis? 
Sure. And as a caveat, um, I also am a registered nurse. I mm-hmm. actually substitute in the school nurse um, as a school nurse sometimes for the kids at elementary school. But um, so I, I have a medical background, which makes me feel even more <laughs> ashamed or embarrassed about this. But um, we were at, actually at Disney World and I had noticed that on the like drive down there, at least down her water bottle, which was supposed to last the entire trip, like giant camelback, huge thing um, in about 30 minutes. And I actually got angry said, what are you doing? You're going to have to pee the whole time. So, of course, she had to go to the bathroom a lot. And then she was still begging for water. And as the days continued on at Disney World, I, I realized, I came to realize something, something's not right. And I feel like it was the spirit almost yelling in my mind saying, you need to figure this out before you do anything else. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. diagnosed at Disney World. Um, so basically extreme thirst and extreme uh, urination or going to the bathroom mm-hmm. were kind of the key things. And with my background, I knew deep down that that was probably what it was, but I was hoping for a really weird urinary tract infection. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Didn't go my way. Ended up in the Orlando Children's Hospital um, for a couple of days and kind of put a damper on the Disney World trip. It was our first time there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that was kind of the game changer, the Disney World trip. Mm-hmm. Had there been any signs of it before you left? Looking back, hindsight is always uh, twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Her teacher at Christmas time had said, Elise is going to the bathroom a lot, but immediately followed it up with, uh, she's so smart, she needs to be in the gifted class, so we're moving her up next year. Um, she's probably just bored. So I was like, okay, whatever. And didn't really realize it. And our neighborhood is one that we have many children that go from house to house to house. It's kind of just open door policy. Mm-hmm. So I really didn't notice or count how many times she was going to the bathroom. But I had noticed on certain family vacations that she would um, be going to the bathroom a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she did wet the bed a couple of times, but she has a history of night terrors. So I thought, oh, my goodness, she's just having night terrors and being her pants. How strange. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, there were signs. And she was losing weight, but we don't have a scale, but I – didn't notice her clothes seemed to be like stretching out, but I thought I had bought, bought cheap J.C. Penny clothes in my mind. <laughs> I don't know why I think J.C. Penny's cheap. <laughs> I think it's a fine store and I shop there, obviously. Uh-huh. But I thought they were stretching out, and now I look back and I realize she was losing weight, not not her uh-huh. clothes stretching out. So, uh-huh. but it was gradual. It was very gradual. But the doctor at the hospital did say she had it for at least six months. So. <laughs> I, uh-huh. What astounds me is that she played competitive soccer. She made straight A's. She, I mean, she was not a sick child in my mind whatsoever, right. but she was right. blood chemistry. Right. So when you took her to the hospital, well, you took her to an urgent care, didn't you, in Orlando? And then they, did yes. they transfer you? Yeah. Well, step one, I went to a, a CVS to buy my own blood sugar meter, being the nurse I am. And um, it wouldn't even read. It was so high. It just kept saying error. And I thought, oh, I bought a cheap meter, you know. But then I tried my own finger, and it read 96. And that moment, that was kind of the moment my heart sunk. And I knew. And I still was in kind of denial. So I said, you know, let's go to the urgent care. I don't want to pay a million dollars at an emergency room. And she's walking around. I mean, la-di-da, just Mm -hmm. with me. Mm -hmm. And um, I went to the urgent care. 
go to check in, they look at me like I have about five eyeballs. <laughs> I checked my own daughter's blood sugar and it won't read. And I think she might have diabetes. Mm-hmm. And they're like, you're on vacation and you think your daughter has diabetes, but she's fine. And did she pass out? I'm like, no, she's been peeing a lot. And they kind of looked at me like, okay, crazy lady. Mm-hmm. And I remember saying, tell me I'm crazy. I hope I'm crazy. By the time they figured out and got tried to take her blood sugar, it wouldn't read on their meter either. It was so high. So mm-hmm. that's to the point they said, drive immediately to the children's hospital in Orlando. The doctor pulled out his personal phone, gave me his ways, shared his ways app or whatever with me. And mm-hmm. then they finally, after probably six hours of her not even eating, got a blood sugar reading of it had gotten down to 596, which I'm sure it was about a thousand before all that. So mm-hmm. your normal range, you want to be around a hundred. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. So she wasn't there. acting sick. She wasn't like throwing up. She wasn't lethargic. No. She wasn't anything like she that. She was, I had noticed some lethargy like um, in the nights. By the time we were like the, the night we were at Disney World, it was actually her birthday the day before. And um, I had noticed like at, when it's like the big parade, we're all like, we all excited. We had just eaten Mickey's buffet and she was just sitting on the ground, like kind of in the, Kind of in the days, but I thought, you know what? This is the first day busy. It's crazy, and she's tired, and it just seemed like, you know, you could always kind of explain it away. Not nothing where you would rush mm-hmm. your child in and demand some sort of testing to be done. Mm-hmm. Her body must be very resilient, mm-hmm. in my mind. Yeah. So, how did she take it when she found out that she had diabetes? Uh, this this was interesting. You never, I mean, you never hope that your child's in this situation, and you never want to be in it yourself. And I, I don't, I guess I don't know what I expected, but um, she was completely humiliated. Uh, hmm. She was very embarrassed. She begged and bawled and cried in that hospital room, saying, "Please don't tell anyone. Do we have to tell my teacher at school? Do we have to tell Grandma and Grandpa? Do we have to?" tell anyone like she didn't she I don't know if it's a form of denial or just overwhelming uh, feelings and grief mm-hmm. for her health but she was very 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 embarrassed of it all mm-hmm. um, and so that was hard because as a mom I was grieving my healthy child knowing mm-hmm. that she she had quite a life in front of her not that I feared for her actual like life or death necessarily, but I, I, I knew that life was going to be quite, quite different and I needed to talk that out and you hear me, I'm a doctor. And uh, it was hard because I couldn't do that with her there because it hurt her so deeply. Mm-hmm. So I'd have to find moments of, of solitude and, and talk to family and talk to friends and kind of get my grief out, get my feelings out. Mm-hmm. Um, her process at all but still support her and give her the confidentiality that she wanted mm-hmm. but ask her permission and it was an interesting little tightrope mm-hmm. dance kind of thing in the beginning in the first couple probably probably three months it was mm-hmm. kind of that way mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so what was that initial um feeling for you when they did finally confirm that she had diabetes uh it was it was dreadful, I guess would be a word. It's kind of like, like almost like you're looking down a huge tunnel. Mm-hmm. And before it was like bright lights and kind of like rainbows all along the way. And there's a happy ending. 
there's still the happy ending in my tunnel. There's still like a happy, like it wasn't like the tunnel collapsed or anything, but some of the lights kind of went out in my mind, like the feeling of, I, I knew as a nurse, like how much she'll have to be different, how much she'll have to kind of curtail her activities or just monitor. And I also, for some reason, the nurse in me had to look up the, the expected life expectancy for a type one diabetic versus a normal person. Mm-hmm. And it was something like seven years less, which I think if you do any subgroup of any population, um, it would be less or more or, or a, a variance. But mm-hmm. for some reason I felt like she might kind of get shortchanged along the way. And I, I felt like, Oh man, it just wasn't fair for her. And I wanted to, I wanted to even the score, but couldn't really figure out a way in my mind how. Mm-hmm. So she kind of took it hard. You took it a little bit hard. How did your husband take it? Uh, Brian, it's funny. We look back now and it's a lot easier to look back than then when you're in the middle of the mess. But um, he, he was a little in, in somewhat of denial for a while. He really mm-hmm. thought that for the first few days while we were at the hospital, he was still back at Disney with the kids. He thought, you know, I, I was reading and sometimes kids' blood sugars fluctuate. He really didn't, he couldn't grasp that she actually had type 1 diabetes. Um, so he kind of was in denial mode and, and it, my sister was actually there helping with the kids and she said he was just in a fog. Like he was there, but he wasn't interacting really. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he, uh, <laughs> I stress baked after I got home from Disney and did all that. I made about a million cakes and opened up the bakery. I didn't actually open the bakery the week before, but we'll get to that probably. Um, but he started buying cars and flipping them. We actually had like what looked like a used car lot. <laughs> He's a car man uh-huh. uh, in our in our driveway, and that was kind of his release of productivity and kind of not just dwelling on stuff you can't control. He he turned to his passion basically of used car dealing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so silly, but. He found you in it, and I didn't care. Yeah. So how did your parents take it, and um, Brian's parents, an extended family? Um, they were they were kind of crushed and um, a little bit, I, it's probably my fault, but a little bit confused um, of kind of how to approach her, how to support her. Um, I think they still struggle with that, honestly, um, because the – annoying thing about diabetes is that you can't ever get an A plus. You cannot, you're, it's a moving target of blood sugar ranges. No matter if you do the same exact thing every single day with the same medicine and the same food, your blood sugar will be wildly different. And, and that is, mm-hmm. it's hard for the person, it's hard for the caretaker. Then for an extended family member to say, sure, spend the night, come eat dinner. And when they don't even understand exactly what insulin does mm-hmm. or doesn't do, and it's, I think it was kind of overwhelming, but they wanted to support, but they kind of are, are trying to find their place. And it's tricky when a child doesn't want to talk about it, doesn't want to admit that even it exists. And so you try to, I don't know, they, they definitely found it a little bit confusing of how, how to be relevant, mm-hmm. how to kind of treat her the same, but also take care of her and not you know, not kill her while they're under her watch. So, right. Yeah. I mean, I have another friend who has two children who have diabetes. And that was one thing I noticed when I've been at their home is that it is a constant 
vigilance. Like she and her husband are constantly talking about like, okay, he ate this. How much insulin do you think he should get? And it's all the time. It never goes away. And yeah, it's one, it's like that quote, um, when they talk about money saying interest never sleeps. I always think diabetes never sleeps. It never stops. You mm -hmm. can't take a day off. Like it's, it is there to stay. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting disease in a way because it's not like cancer or something where you're like, you go and do these treatments and then you're done and you hope that that cures it and you get your blood tested, but it's not like every day. I mean, it's still there in those cases, but diabetes is every day, every few hours, always checking the blood sugar levels to make sure that everything's nor as normal as it can be within a range. And that would be exhausting. Has it been exhausting for you? Yes. There's times when you feel like you're in your flow and any, with any new change in your life, when you have a new baby or whatever change you have mm -hmm. that changes your schedule, you know, the first, obviously the first beginning is, is painful and hard and exhausting, but then you feel like you kind of get a flow and you know what you're doing. And then damn, like something happens with their levels and, needs and body chemistry where you're you're back at square one trying to figure this whole beast out again and there's new technologies that we've gone through she did shots for the first six months taking about eight shots a day of mm -hmm. insulin and then um, checking her blood sugar about eight to ten times a day pricking her fingers so about 20 shots in all 20 pokes every day for six months mm -hmm. um, and she finally decided she wanted to try one of the pumps because um, mm -hmm. they make you wait um, at least six months usually so you understand the disease. And so the new pump was a blessing and a curse. And it still is a crazy thing. It malfunctions all the time. It beeps really loud at school. We had to, we have to smash it with hammers to make it stop beeping sometimes and throw it in the woods. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's never normal. And we, I'm a very forgetful person. And so is Elise. So it, it's like a newborn baby. You, you can't leave without the insulin bag. You cannot leave without a list of 20 supplies that go along with your gadgets that are reading your blood sugar and sending it to your Bluetooth and having your pod work. And it's, it's really, really, it's just, yeah, it can be exhausting and tedious, but you just have to kind of let it be there. It's a member of the family now. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we can't fight it. I don't <laughs> work with the, it's like a demanding two-year-old. Uh -huh. <laughs> they make no sense and they're a lot of work. Yeah, that's a very interesting analogy. I like that one. I actually find it somewhat humorous, just because I know you, about how what happened on your way down to Florida when you found out when you found out that she had diabetes down there. But you were in the car, and I remember you telling me that you were like, "I have to sign up for my baking business now." And your husband Brian was just like, "Why? Like, just wait." You're like, "No, I have to do it now." Is that what happened? Yeah, That's how I, I remember it. Yeah, my 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 um, family actually kind of teased me because yeah, I felt this push. I said, I my goal is to get the bakery, get my license, get my website up, get um get get the word out, get my business cards, get all my ducks in a row before we leave for Disney, no matter what it takes. Um, I remember waking up at like five thirty that morning and, and finishing up my Wix site, which is piece of garbage but <laughs> I'm not familiar with technology but for me that's a big deal mm -hmm. so um uh everyone said well, you know why and I just felt really strongly that I I needed to get it done by that deadline and I did and 
literally, <laughs> I, I, I sat in the hospital and thought, oh, dear goodness, I can't open this bakery now. There's so much misinformation about diabetes. Everyone's just going to think that because we eat so much sugar that this is why Elise has diabetes when that's not even true. But I know that's not true, but I don't want people to think it. And then, you know, your mm-hmm. head goes in circles and I finally realized, no, like you live your life. You don't worry about what people think. And there's so much peace and stress relief that comes from baking for me that it was a godsend to have. And I actually named, and I named the business before it just even happened called, it's called Sweet Relief Bakery. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. quite fitting. Mm-hmm. And Elise loves to bake. She has a passion for baking. She gets to eat what she bakes. She basically just has to be a mathematician with all her carbs. Um, she has to keep track and she has to dose herself with insulin accordingly mm-hmm. but they don't limit their carbs anymore um they need carbs to grow so mm-hmm. really it's just a huge massive equation of a life mm-hmm. that you have to be a very good accountant with mm-hmm. and she does she she from day one that girl elise is amazing her did her own shots in the hospital and from ever forever out um her own blood sugar testing her own gadget putting on and taking off which is very very hard for even adults to do mm-hmm. and it's painful and she does it she does it all and she she owns it now mm-hmm. yeah I want to come back to that but in talking about your sweet relief bakery I think that that's so interesting how heavenly father kind of like was like you need to do this now like you felt kind of this urge to do it because do you think that you would have set it up after you found out that she had diabetes if you hadn't done it before Absolutely not. And I know that. And I, and I thank Heavenly Father many, many, many days of, of thank you for, for giving me that prompting because I know, I know myself and I would not have opened it afterwards. I, I was too overwhelmed and there's no way I would have. Um, and so I know, I know that that prompting was there for me and I'm, I'm glad that I listened to it because I, I don't listen to all of them. And <laughs> mm-hmm. but that one I did and I'm super thankful for yeah. Explain for me what baking is like for you. How does it relieve your stress? The actual physical, like, stirring and the mixing, even as a child, I loved to just, even on shows, just watch batter, like, fall into a bowl off a whisk or something. I, the, the visualness of it, the physicality of rolling out dough, I, I literally like it. It's like an art form in my mm-hmm. mind. I, I have always loved that. But then I've also realized there's a huge piece because you can bake like that and not open a bakery for sure. And that's what I've done my whole life. But I love people and I like, I like to be around them. I like to feel needed. I like to feel um, productive, uh, probably to a fault. Um, Mm -hmm. And so the baking, like having someone place an order saying, I would love this cake. Could you make it? And me being able to do it, working hard at something, getting a finished product and, and having that person say, that's really cool. I love it. And, you know, make a little bit of money now to just basically offset at least his medical costs. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, 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 I really enjoy it. And there's been very, very few times I can count probably three days where I didn't enjoy it because right around the holidays, it does get a little crazy. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's, it's just, I love it. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just love that. I just love that Heavenly Father knew that you were going to go through this trial and the ironicness, is that even a word, of um, (laughs) 
of that your your daughter has this disease of diabetes that has everything to do with her blood sugar and yet you're opening this really awesome bakery and fulfilling that need and how you've been able to really deal with both and how the one actually has really helped you in coping with this disease with Elise because I remember you telling me that you're like this bakery saved me like in the beginning just to be able to have that outlet for my energy and my creativeness and be able to kind of distract me is that true oh definitely true and and to take it one step further it has actually helped Elise um mm-hmm. to to do the same thing in a, in a mini little version of me. It's so cute. She loves to come home and bake. Emerson and Elise just got into a farmer's market where they're doing a kid's entrepreneur um, series. And it's the first of its kind here in Columbia. We're in South Carolina. And mm-hmm. they were chosen out of a lot of different people um, to do it. And so they've been baking and wrapping and packaging. And they get to go sell their stuff. They named it E&E Sweets. And Elise mm-hmm. loves to come home and make new recipes. And I could tell it's that same feeling for her. Um, and the bakery helped open up that avenue in a safe, happy place instead of me feeling confused or, oh, I don't know if you could eat that or it's sugary. or uh, like mm-hmm. It's kind of fun to let her be free with that mm-hmm. as an art form even. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, I just think that that is so great because – we think that things should be a certain way, and yet the answer to prayers and things often comes in the most unexpected way. And I think this is a great example of that because nobody would think, oh, I'm going to help this little girl and I'm going to help her mom, you know, deal with this disease with something that relates almost to the disease, not directly, but um, just in the fact that it's all about sugar. And you're, that's what you're watching yep. with your diabetes. I just think that's so cool. Well, I think there's a lesson there, too, for to, to anyone who feels like I can't do something because someone would feel erroneously a certain way about mm-hmm. my decision. And, and I don't want them to, to think that way. And you limit yourself. Like, mm-hmm. if I were to do that, I would have just limited, limited myself. And, and there's no sense. I don't. People, I'm sure people have thought probably some terrible, crazy things. I honestly don't think because I know and God knows that this is this is what we need and this is right and there's nothing wrong with it. Mm-hmm. And I move forward and I and I, any naysayers, I say, eat my cake and shut up. So <laughs> that is true. They would eat your cake and then they'd be like, oh, okay, I get it. Never now. mind. <laughs> I totally get it. Bake on. <laughs> yeah, I think that is a great lesson that we we can't put the emphasis of what we do in our lives on what other people will think of it because it does limit us. It does stifle our growth and it stifles our ability to serve other people because no matter what you do, somebody's going to have an opinion about it, negative or positive. And even if it's positive, you have to have that drive and that that purpose come from within, no matter what the feedback you're getting is, because that's how it's sustainable. Yeah. And it's always, of course, nice to know that that's what Heavenly Father wants you to do. And as you strive to do those things, like he will make it work for your benefit. And I think that your story is a great example of that. With Elise going forward, you just 
um, celebrated a year of her having diabetes, right? Mm-hmm. So did you um, have a... Not this past Sunday, the year, the Sunday before. So you were talking about how you were going to have a I hate diabetes party? <laughs> yeah, and it's funny, you know, at least in her kind of going back to how she felt in the beginning, that day threw a curveball for me. Um, I thought I would just hit it in stride. I thought I would be happy to check it off my one-year mark. Um, but actually, um, I'm going to get emotional. I already know it. Um, at least at the last minute said, no, I don't want to do anything to bring attention to my diabetes. Um, and we went to church, we came home and, um, she actually just bawled in my arms and we read Harry Potter, um, Mm -hmm. out loud in my bed. And I think we both realized that, um, it kind of stunk to be the one year. Not that we didn't, we were proud that we got, and it's weird for me to say we, but as a mom, mm-hmm. I don't know, it, it's a demanding disease. And I feel like I got through it as, you know, somewhat, not, not in any way, of, at least I've gone through, but I, I was there on that team. Um, mm-hmm. And um, it was sad to think we could always, last year, every day we could be like, this time last year, we didn't know. You didn't know you had diabetes, like whether you had it or not, which you probably did, but mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. were free and it was like fun to look back on that. And it felt like we were just like the diabetes wasn't a huge part of our life because we could remember what it was like without it. Mm-hmm. And then when we hit that year mark, it was like, there's not going to be any, like it kind of was so final to be like, there's no more this time last year. Mm-hmm. We were free. It was like we were locked in. Mm-hmm. And you kind of know that you're never, you're kind of slipping of those memories of when you didn't have it. And I think that's true probably for a lot of people going through any kind of grief mm-hmm. is why the memorials might be so hard. I don't know, but mm-hmm. it kind of is, it's a, it's a very final thing. Another thing saying, yep, this is set in stone another year. Mm-hmm. So that, that was tough. It was it was unexpected the way that I felt and that she felt. I think I think it both caught both of us off guard. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what's nice about it though is that time does kind of fuel at least for us a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like we felt that sadness and that deep, deep, deep sadness for that moment, for you know part of that day. But the next day, the next, the next day. I mean, now it feels like very fine. Where the first time it took literally three months for us not to want to throw up when we heard the word Disney World, you know, like mm-hmm. it was a lot easier to go through like time-wise on the, mm-hmm. on the anniversary mark. And I think as time goes on, it will probably get shorter and shorter of the the grieving feeling, I hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is a really interesting reaction because it's not like it's a celebratory thing where in some cases when you're diagnosed with the disease, it's like, we made it a year. We're so happy. You know, like that's a huge, like accomplishment, but yeah, yeah, but in this case, it's like, yay, we made it a year and now we get to do another year and another year and another year. Yeah. And it's not like it's an accomplishment, like that you made it that year. It's just like, I kept her alive. Like, yeah, that was the goal. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I wasn't expecting to kill her, but right. (laughs) I mean, yeah, we should be thankful, but everyone should be thankful you're alive every day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a really interesting um, thing. I'm glad you shared that because that's a good insight for, you know, anybody who might be trying to help somebody in grief that sometimes that's not that year mark 
is not always a happy thing that, you know, you get to that point. Like it is a milestone, but it doesn't mean that it's a happy milestone. It's kind of um, situation specific. And I'm glad that you were able to really um, listen to her and she kind of just gave you the cues and that you went along with that and that she was able to kind of grieve that moment and now kind of pick up and move on and be like, yep, that was not what I wanted, but we're going to keep going. Has she really had very many sad moments other than that within the last year? Yes and no. Um, for the I would say for the past probably nine months, she's been what a normal a normal person, normal girl who's nine, ten would be. Um, you know, they have their moments of frustration or sadness. And but the first, literally the first three months, um, it it was it was heartbreaking. And I know that many people have gone through this and with their own children in different situations, but she she cried herself to sleep every single night for three months straight mm-hmm. um with us uh trying to comfort her trying to validate her feelings um wishing in the deepest of our hearts that it would be taken away and given to us obviously that's not even possible but mm-hmm. that that i don't even i i feel like it's one of those post-traumatic stress feelings where i i kind of have blocked that out Mm-hmm. But it was really, really dark and really sad for for quite a while for her. I feel like I, I, I was very nervous that I had lost my elite, mm-hmm. my like, sweet little girl and her personality forever to this disease. And I I got quite scared, you know, and, and, and you get to a point as a parent, you know, when do they need professional help? And we sought some counseling and she worked through some anxieties. I think some of her depression kind of turned into to anxieties and we went to a counselor and things worked out really well. We really normalized the idea of counseling, which actually helped, I think with some extended family members, mm-hmm. um, very matter of fact about it, very open about it. And it helped her somewhat through. She kind of liked it, kind of didn't, but in the end, I mean, it, she, she is in a place now where she's herself. She's happy. And I don't fear for her. I don't grieve for her every night, but, Mm-hmm. I don't know if it was normal or not, but any other parent who goes through that sees their child suffering, like that is very excruciating. And mm-hmm. I don't, I didn't want to go back there. And, and there was a time too, actually in the summer, we were testing all the kids for the antibodies mm-hmm. of diabetes and ourselves, actually. It doesn't, it's not a genetic test. It's just one of the things you do every year to see if maybe we can catch it a little early if mm-hmm. you are going to get it. And she was beyond upset and sad thinking about if one of her siblings or us uh, had any markers for diabetes. I mean, it. Mm-hmm. she would get to the point where she couldn't even talk about it. It would be so sad for her. And that was made me realize just how sensitive a person and empathetic she is and kind of, I don't know, it's one of those learning moments as a parent where you're like, if I was a kid, I think I'd be like, all you crazy people get diabetes because I had to do this and it's not fair. Mm-hmm. But she was completely opposite, say, like grief stricken, imagining her little Paxton, her little brothers too, having diabetes. I guess there's three, but mm-hmm. <laughs> I lose track. Mm-hmm. So that I've seen her, I, those moments were the sad moments. The very beginning, accepting her fate, kind of, she had to go through the grieving process. Mm-hmm. And then the the empathy for, or sympathy for the other 
family members that may or may not have tested positive. But luckily, we're all negative, which she was relieved by, obviously, so was I. Mm-hmm. But we'll test every year. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be an awkward time for her every year. Mm-hmm. So I can be sensitive to it. Yeah. I think that's so interesting and so great that you noticed that grief in her, that she had this grieving moment in her life. Like she knew kind of the gravity of what she was dealing with and that she wasn't happy about it and that she was able to take those three months and grieve and get the help that she needed. Do you think that that really made a huge difference in her being able to be back to her old self now? Yeah, it's kind of hard to, like, looking back, it's kind of hard to separate, you know, cause and effect. Mm-hmm. I, I can't tell you that, did, did time do it? Did her own mind come to terms with it? Or, you know, how much did the counseling do? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know, but the, I'm just so glad to have her back. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Sometimes it's one of those times where you just kind of have to, like, we had to keep emotionally steady and strong. Even though times I wanted to break down and be like, you are right, this is crazy. You should give up. Yeah, like... You become mm-hmm. overwhelmed. You kind of had to be that rock in front of her and have your own moments, but not in front of her. Mm-hmm. And then build on those and, and turn to Heavenly Father and turn to your testimony like you never have before. Mm-hmm. And just kind of keep going. It's that feeling of like when I've run marathons at the end when you're going, why did I do this? What am I doing? I want to give up. I'm never doing this again. Uh, and you start almost panicking and you just put your head down. You say, no, I'm going to keep going. We're going to get through this. There will be an eventual end. Come on. The fast, but if we stop now, we'll never finish. Go. Mm-hmm. We have to finish. There's no choice. So. Mm-hmm. so I know that you, any parent has hopes and dreams for their children. And so what are some of your hopes and dreams for Elise? And what are some things that you're scared of for her that are lie in her future? I think my hopes and dreams for her is that she truly does what she wants to do. I, I have to brag on her. She is amazing. She handles all of her diabetes, I mean, without any fanfare, any drama, any anything. She mm-hmm. is awesome at it. And then she loves to bake. So she, she has that on the side. She sells it on the side. She makes her own flyers and her own advertising things. She started a drama club at her school single-handedly this year. Mm-hmm. And writes out lesson plans every other week. And instead of going to recess, gathers the kids for drama club mm-hmm. and teaches them stuff about drama. Like, I mean, she's just, she knows no bounds. And I hope she, she stays that way and that she, she does what she loves and that she's successful at, at that. Mm-hmm. And then I guess you always had the neurotic fear with a type one diabetic in your life that, one day she won't, her blood sugar will be so crazy and it will go so low that one day I'll find her and she'll, she'll never wake up or something like, like the, mm-hmm. the, the worst of the worst or like the disease takes her life in some mm-hmm. weird, unexpected way because it, it's a strange disease in that. Yeah. If you let it, your blood sugars go very high for very long. Yes. You can eventually slowly kill yourself from it for sure. Mm-hmm. But also at the same token, while trying to control it so well, you could actually very quickly get into very, very serious trouble and die from too much insulin. So Mm -hmm. there's always that wild card that kind of sits at the back of your mind. And obviously Mm -hmm. I want her to not, I guess I don't want her to die of diabetes. I I Mm -hmm. mean, that sounds crazy, but I want her to be safe Mm -hmm. and 
like be able to fly, but be safe about it. And which she has a personality where she's very much a worrier person who takes care of things. She's not going to mm-hmm. <laughs> some other children that would <laughs> be dead if they had that. If we didn't about two seconds. But um, that, that, that fear nags at me, but nothing else. I don't feel like it's going to limit her as far as her being or, mm-hmm. you know, someone's going to tell her no, or a door will be closed for any reason because of her diabetes. So I guess mm-hmm. I feel good about that. There's just the neurotic fear that you always have to kind of push back because you could think that of any of your kids in any moment you can, they could fall off a cliff. They could get hit by a bus. You know, mm-hmm. if we want to think that way. You could live in fear your whole life. So, right. You don't have any confidence to keep her safe. Yeah. I think that that's great. I have no doubt that Elise will do great things and she's already betrothed to Jack. So she'll be in my family too. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of cute blonde heads in the, in the mix. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. She's adorable and she's a beautiful girl. And, um, I actually learned so much about her in this interview with her, with you. And, um, I have no doubt that she's just this choice spirit that heavenly father is going to do many good things through. And so I'm excited to see where she goes and what she does. And I know that a lot of that is attributed to you as her mother, because I know you're an amazing mom and that you really love your kids and that you, you know, you're just like most really good moms who don't want to have their children go through hard things. But when they do, you rise to the occasion and do what you can to make that experience for them as untraumatic as it can be. And um, you're such a great example to me. I always like to end my interviews with asking people who have gone through difficult times, what, um, as you look back on the last year or so, what are some beautiful things that you have seen come out of this experience of Elise getting diabetes? Um, for one, our family has grown so much closer on an emotional level. That sounds really cliche, but, um, it it was a busyness of life with the expectations of parenthood and school and whatever the rigors of everyday life, you, you lose a lot of depth in the, in that shallowness and the event of diabetes has strengthened our roots of love and concern and, mm-hmm. you know, what, what really is important. And so that has been awesome. I mean, in the whole, just feeling heavenly father in, in our day to day life and, and teaching Elise about like, what exactly does the spirit feel like? Cause even in the hospital, I, automatically I'm like can't you feel how my father bearing us up she's like no I don't feel anything and I feel terrible and she, mm-hmm. she honestly had never really had to rely on the spirit or really feel it you know for herself we mm-hmm. I think we invited the spirit in our home a lot mm-hmm. there are a lot of things but she never had to draw on that for herself until then and it took months it took months for her to realize what it is and she still is learning and growing and it's an interesting like kind of awakening for us to realize you know Let's identify what the Holy Ghost is with our kids and and let's learn how to use it as a light in our life. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 been a blessing. That's awesome. So in closing, if you were talking to a mother who is maybe in the same position that you were a year ago, what kind of advice would you give her? I would say to do what your child needs you to do, whether that is like join an advocacy group. Some kids love to talk about it and get it out that way. 
like Elise uh, or like Elise where you, you just want to hide, kind of do what's right for them. And then, but also take care of yourself. Even if they don't like you to talk about it, go find someone, find a friend who will listen to you and just get it all out. And kind of as a heads up for other people, for me, it was really nice for people to ask specific questions um, mm-hmm. to, to sound interested and not just have an awkward silence or like, can she eat that? Like worst annoying question ever. Mm-hmm. But more of like, oh, how does this change your life? Or... You know, mm-hmm. what kind of pod is she on? Or like just any, any interest in a positive way mm-hmm. for anyone seeing someone go through it and for the parent taking care of the child, just take care of yourself, which also sounds cliche. Don't hide yourself in a hole. Get the same help that you would get for your child if you feel yourself slipping. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much, Natalie. I know that this interview will really help somebody that's going through a similar experience. And I think you have a lot of bits of wisdom that are applicable to anybody, even if they're not going through this experience. And I, um, I do think that one of the most beautiful things that comes out of kind of these more tragic or unwanted trials that we sometimes face is that clarity in what is really important comes out. And I think that that has been your experience as well. And I thank you for taking the time today to talk with me and be able to share your story with my listeners. You're very welcome. I do have many cake orders to attend to. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It is Valentine's Day when we're (laughs) recording this. So I'm sure you are swamped. Well, I will let you get back to all of those sugary cakes and I wish you well. And thanks again. Thanks, Megan. Thank you, Natalie. Wasn't that such a great interview? I just love her and her enthusiasm for life and her positive outlook and her just amazing spirit. And I can't wait until her business goes nationwide because we could all use a little bit of sweet relief now and then. So if you're in South Carolina, definitely check her out because I can totally vouch for her baked goods. They're amazing and she is a great baker. And I'm just so glad that Heavenly Father really gave her that gift amidst um, a trial that she was then asked to face and how he's so aware of each of us. And I think that that is what I came away from this interview the most from is that he is in the small details of our lives and he really does care about each of us and the circumstances that we're going through. And he provides a way for us to still find happiness and joy, even in the hard times. And I know that Natalie and Elise are doing that through their baking. And I am just so glad that they have that and that so many other people are blessed by that great talent that they both have. So thank you, Natalie. And thank you, Elise, for being such a brave girl. We love you. We're just so grateful to have your story shared. All right. I hope that you all have a great week and that I will see you back next week. Next month, we are talking about money. So that should be fun. So tune in next month. And that's what the topic will be all month long. All right. Have a great Monday and a great rest of your week. And we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.